From Washington, I'm David Schultz, and this is Talking Tax. Wow, what a difference $80 billion can make. That's how much the IRS is getting in new funding over the next decade, thanks to last year's Inflation Reduction Act. And in the past few weeks on this podcast, we've been hearing from a variety of people about what the IRS should spend this on, what it probably will spend this on, and what this will all mean for the future of the agency. Today, we're going to continue that conversation with someone who is both inside the agency, but also independent of it. Erin Collins is the head of the Taxpayer Advocate Service, also known as TAS. Her job is to help individual taxpayers with problems they might be having with the IRS, and also to report to Congress on systemic issues at the agency that need improving. Collins spoke to Bloomberg tax reporter Aisha Bogchi about what the new funding could mean for the IRS, and she says she's glad the money is going to services to help taxpayers, not just to audit them. Yeah, so I'm very happy about the taxpayer service and also the IT modernization piece because both of those are really going to change how the IRS interacts with taxpayers. So um, basically, I, I think if the IRS does this right over the next, whether it be one, two, three, five, ten years, they are going to transform the IRS. You know, we've all experienced three really difficult years with the IRS just doing their core function, which is answering phone, processing returns. So those monies will be applied just to the basics, but also additional functionality that the IRS should really be doing. So I am pretty excited as to the future this holds for taxpayers as well as taxpayer service. One of the IRS's top taxpayer service priorities right now is making it possible for taxpayers and professionals to reach someone at the IRS on the phone. How has the IRS been doing in tackling that problem and what changes would help it do better? Yeah, that's been the key problem for the last three years. Uh, last year, the IRS only had a basically 13% of the calls were answered by an IRS customer service representative, which in essence is appalling. So with the additional funds, the Secretary of Treasury came out um, in late summer, early fall, and informed the IRS that we were gonna get that number up to 85% level of service, which uh, I wholeheartedly support uh, the Secretary in this endeavor, but I am a little concerned. The IRS has hired an additional 5,000 customer service representatives, which will make a huge difference. But my concern is those individuals also process paper. So the IRS still has a paper backlog carrying into the 2023 year. And I would hate to see that we put answering the phones above processing the paper. So I think they have to take a real measured approach to make sure that we both, the IRS both provide a high level of service on the phone, but also eliminate that paper backlog so we don't have it going forward. Well, I know one of your recommendations for the IRS is that it get rid of paper or it move increasingly to digitize what it does. Can you talk about the things that you would like to see the IRS do that could help prevent the problem of a paper backlog ever ever building up? Yeah, one of the things actually we've been talking about it with the IRS as well is looking at an IRS world that's paperless. And, and we all can smile when we say that. But paperless means inside the building. So I don't think we want to prohibit taxpayers from filing on paper or putting a piece of correspondence in the mail. But what we want to have is it comes in at its point of entry, whether that be at a campus or a local office, that at that point it's scanned and put into the system so that that paper can go throughout the IRS 
um, in a digital format rather than having those pieces of paper that we have to move from point A to point B. So, you know, the vision, and I, I think the IRS shares this as well, is how do we get to that paperless environment? And you have said that creating robust online accounts for taxpayers is the most transformational immediate improvement the IRS could make. What would a robust account look like? You know, what does that mean and how would it help? Yeah, I think most people who are listening to this, I, I suspect, don't go to a bank very often. Um, you know, go back 10, 20 years, you, you went to a bank to make a deposit. Uh, even your statements were in the mail. And everything the financial institution now is pretty much done online. I, I can't think of the last time I actually went to a bank other than to, you know, get change. Um, but everything I do is online. And that's similar to what we're thinking with IRS. You could file your return online. You can see those returns. You can see your transcript. You can see your W-2s and 1099s timely. But more importantly, you can see all the IRS correspondence they send to you on your online account. And you can respond online. So again, eliminating that paper, making it a lot quicker. You can chat with an IRS agent. Um, we pretty much want to have every possible feature on those online accounts, not only for taxpayers, but for practitioners. Because practitioners do about 50 to 70% of the work associated with the filing season. So if they could have access in one place for all of their clients, that would make a huge difference. And many people have complained about problems they're having at the IRS during the pandemic, including not being able to get someone on the phone and including delays in getting tax refunds. But you've highlighted that there were a number of problems that preceded the pandemic that were hampering taxpayer services. I guess part of that is online services and digitizing. But are there other things that you want to see the IRS work on that are long, long existing problems? Yeah, I, I think you could, it's a long list. <laughs> so I think the challenge is, um, and, and I think the pandemic really highlighted a lot of the challenges the IRS had. Simple things, if, you know, think about when you file your tax return, it's filed in the campus, again, is paper. If that return is pulled for audit, they have to send that paper from the campus out to a local office. That has to be sorted and gone through and prioritized and then gets sent to an agent. The agent then works the case. They send it back potentially to a campus or they physically have to send the files to appeals or send it to camp. I mean, we got to stop the paper from going from point A to point B. If it's all digitalized in the system, it'll be so much quicker and be much more efficient. And I think, again, that really came to light uh, during COVID because people weren't in the offices to move that paper around. So again, I think it really highlighted the challenge the taxpayers face and the delays. It could be much more efficient if it was all in some sort of digital format. And then I know that there are also big hiring problems at the IRS. Can you talk about that? I think you've made some recommendations about the how the IRS could improve getting people on board in order to, ta to tackle the problems that it has. Yeah, fortunately, they were able to receive what's called direct hiring authority for some of the positions, which really is making a difference um, for a lot of the campus hires and some of the revenue agents or revenue officer hiring. Um, but it is time consuming with respect to some of the requirements the IRS and other federal agencies have. All the front end work, everything from listing uh, the, the position to advertising the position uh, to going through the application process. 
you know, we found that it's anywhere from three to six months from the time the position is advertised to when they get the people on board. So that's a real time challenge and it's a lot of manual work that has to get done. Multiply that by potential, you know, tens of thousands of people. IRS is slated to lose through attrition of retirement about 50 to 60% of the workforce over the next four, five, six years. That's a large percentage of people. So let's say that's 50,000. And then with the additional funding, they're gonna be able to hire even more agents. Uh, that's a lot of um, challenges for the human capital office to have to process those applications and those people through the system. So they need to beef up their own staff so they can handle increasing the IRS's staff. And in your latest report to Congress, I think you sent it to Congress just this month, uh, you talked about problems at the IRS Independent Office of Appeals. Can you talk about the role that that office plays in uh, for taxpayers who are dealing with the IRS and what you would like to see change? Yeah, I think a lot of people um, have a misconception of what it is. Some people think of it more as a, a court proceeding, a formal proceeding, but it is a informal administrative proceeding. Uh, the challenges that appeals has is it is similar to TAS. We are embedded in the IRS, but yet we are independent. So appeals has a similar situation. They're within the IRS, but independent. And so how do you make sure um, and Congress really emphasized that in the Taxpayer First Act by actually adding the word independent in their title. They hire a lot of folks from within the IRS. So uh, revenue agents, revenue officers become appeals officers. And how do you make sure that there's sort of that mindset difference between being an agent versus an appeals officer? How do you keep the level of communication between appeals and either counsel or IRS agents so that again, they not only give the appearance of being independent, but they in fact are independent. So that's a concern that we have of some of their procedures that they have currently actually favor the IRS versus being more independent uh, or neutral, favoring both the taxpayer and the IRS. So um, those are some of the things that we had raised. Uh, is your experience that the IRS is receptive to that concern? Well, Andy Kiso, who's the chief of appeals, is very concerned about making sure that uh, there is, you know, not only the appearance of independence, but in fact, independence. And we've had many conversations on it. Sometimes we agree and sometimes we don't, uh, you know, we disagree. Um, I think that is his goal is to make sure that the office is as independent as it can be. It's just sometimes we have a difference of opinion how to get there. Uh, you've also recommended increased funding for your office. Can you talk about that? What would you like to get and what do you think it would help you do? So on the case advocacy side, those are our folks that um, help taxpayers one-on-one -on -one with issues. For the last couple of years, uh, we've had very, very high inventory. And honestly, we have not been doing the job that Congress intended us to do in a timely fashion. Um, so that is a real challenge. But as the IRS beefs up and they start having additional enforcement, we're the downs, we handle the downstream consequences of enforcement. So as the IRS continues to build, we're going to see a lot of taxpayers reaching out to TAS. And our current uh, situation is we can't handle what we have now, that if the IRS continues to build up on enforcement, and that's everything from collection to examinations to appeals, as they continue to have that, a percentage of those folks will be reaching out to TAS. So I am concerned that 
you know, good news that the IRS can build up, but, you know, that's going to be tough for TAS because we will have the downstream consequences. Some politicians have advocated for pre-populated tax returns, where taxpayers would receive from the government a return and could sign it and submit it if they want to uh, want to do that instead of preparing their own returns, akin to what several other countries already do. But you expressed concerns about those proposals in your recommendations. Why? So my concern is you're, you're taking a tax administration agency and basically turning it to the judge, the jury, and the executioner. They're taking the information they have, preparing the return, and asking the taxpayer to sign it. If there's an error or problem with that return, who's subject to penalties? The IRS? The taxpayers? You know, what if the IRS doesn't have all the necessary information, the taxpayer doesn't understand that, signs the return anyway? Um, I think it's going to cause challenges. IRS has no idea, are you married? Are you separated? Do you have one child child versus two? Um, Are you taking care of your niece and nephew? I mean, there's a lot of issues on dependency and other things that the IRS doesn't per se have. I am very um, supportive of the IRS having software and other things in sort of a question and answer format where they download, here's your W-2 information, here's your 1099 information. But I still want the taxpayer at the end of the day to have the ultimate final review and say over that return um, and put in the additional information that the IRS would not be aware of. So I'm kind of a hybrid. Um, I think the IRS should provide an ability for taxpayers to do it efficiently and at no cost. Um, But I also am concerned that once the IRS prepares that return, that the individuals may not understand the consequences of that. And so either we have to do it through education or maybe give them the option to finish the return. I have one dependent or I have two dependents or I'm now divorced. Last year I was married. So some of those things I think should fall on the taxpayer rather than the IRS having the responsibility to figure that out. One of your recommendations was for the IRS to improve its training of customer-facing employees, including on the employees understanding taxpayer rights. I'm not sure all that many taxpayers even know their rights. Can you highlight a few that are especially important and may not be widely understood? Yeah, I think, you know, the the if you list them in order, um, we kind of call them the Ten Commandments. <laughs> It's, you know, a a fair and equitable system. I think that's had a lot of discussion lately. What exactly does that mean? Um, And and that is a right that um, the taxpayers have. Question is, how is that applied? And is that, you know, applied by the taxpayer or is that applied by the IRS? And it really is an IRS issue. They have rights um, to privacy, confidentiality, to right to the fair and just results to pay no more tax than they're required. So as you pointed out, a lot of people are not familiar with their rights. Um, IRS has a publication that they're required to send uh, with correspondence and beginning of an IRS audit, but a lot of people don't read it or understand it. And that's why it's so important, at least to me, that IRS agents are trained so they can explain those rights to taxpayers, right to representation. Um, if a taxpayer comes in by themselves, they may explain that they have the right to either have an attorney, a CPA, an accountant, you know, whoever, um, to assist them in the examination. So these are things that IRS employees really need to explain to taxpayers. That was National Taxpayer Advocate Aaron Collins speaking with Bloomberg Tax Reporter Asia Bogchi. 
And that's it for today's podcast. You can find up-to-the-minute news and the latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. Today's Talking Text is produced by myself, David Schultz. Rachel Daigle is our editor. Our executive producer is Josh Block. From Washington, I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening. In a global tax landscape that changes by the day, it's what you don't know that can leave you exposed. At Bloomberg Tax, we provide market-leading intelligence and practical applications to help tax professionals work smarter, faster, and more accurately. Our solutions provide the insights you need for game-changing outcomes. To revolutionize your performance in real time, the difference is Bloomberg Tax. Learn more at pro.bloombergtax.com.